right, all right. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the program. Pete Callender here. Thanks so much for hanging out with me. I appreciate it. And uh, I want to start off the program uh, welcoming back to the show Bill O'Reilly, the uh, award-winning uh, anchor, newsman extraordinaire, TV personality, and uh, also best-selling author and host of the uh, the Bill O'Reilly segments that you hear right here on WBT. Just got th- uh, just got finished listening to it, actually. So, Bill, welcome back. How are you? Hey, Pete. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing all right. So, uh, another another book in the Killing series. Is this what? Is this the twelfth book in the series? Yep. Twelfth book, and uh, it's different from the other uh, yeah. eleven. Uh, called Killing the Legends: The Lethal Danger of Celebrity. And it's about three men who changed. The culture of America. Three men: Elvis, John Lennon, Muhammad Ali. Was there any consideration to add anyone else into the book, or did you kind of know like these are the three I want to focus on? Well, as a historian, my job is to basically analyze how the country has evolved. There isn't anybody in the category of those three men. As far as culture is concerned, I mean, there are big names, Marilyn Monroe. Some people say, well, why do you talk about Michael Jackson? They didn't have the influence. And I'll give you a real stark example. Yeah. Elvis Presley, mid-50s, America, conformity society, Dwight Eisenhower, post-World War II. Everybody looked the same, sounded the same, did the same, haircuts were the same. Elvis Presley, Tupelo, Mississippi, shows up on the Ed Sullivan Show and changes the entire culture in six minutes. King's hound dog. Pastors say he's a, an agent of Satan. Burn his <laughs> records. Parents are telling their boys, you can't look like that. You can't slick your hair back. Wear a leather jacket. And so our society starts to bubble with dissent. And who wins? Elvis wins. A kid from Mississippi changes everything. Yeah. Same thing with Lennon and the Beatles. Same thing with Muhammad Ali. And so, yeah, so do you want to go, give a thumbnail breakdown on Lennon and Ali as well? Okay. So, 64, the Beatles come over from Britain. And again, Ed Sullivan's show. For the next five years, 64 into 69, the whole culture blows up. Yeah. Sex, drugs, rock and roll. That's what we have now. The Beatles were in the forefront of that. Magical Mystery Tour, uh, Sergeant Pepper, John Lennon. And Paul McCartney, the face of the Beatles. Lennon comes to America. Ali, next to Dr. Martin Luther King, was the most powerful civil rights agent in the country at the same time in the 60s. And then what all three have together is they were all betrayed and they all were crushed by their fame, destroyed by their fame. It's one of the... the the sad similarities uh, in all of the stories. Uh, first, I, I did not realize uh, before I, I read it in the book that uh, John Lennon was addicted to heroin. I had I, I didn't know that. I guess I bought the the myth that uh, the Beatles broke up because of Yoko Ono, but it, that doesn't seem to be the. I mean, I'm sure it didn't help, but that that doesn't seem to be the case. No, that's why I write these books, Pete. Yeah, because people think they know about history and they don't. So John Lennon gets isolated after he meets Yoko Ono and becomes a heroin addict. What? What? How could that happen? And that is really the underscore of why the Beatles broke up. 
because he was such a different person, Lennon. Yeah. And the other three couldn't handle it. So, you know, when I write these books, obviously the Killing Series, the most successful nonfiction book series of all time, it's to give people information, but also these books are entertaining to read. They fly by. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I mean, and these are obviously cultural figures, and you, as you mentioned, it's sort of a departure from, uh, from the other uh, subjects that you've covered in that way, and that these, but these, these stories are, are stories that, you know, people know the people, they know of the people, but they don't know some of these stories. And uh, the, that, that similar thread through the stories of this, uh, the, the, the sycophants that are surrounding these people, the hangers-on, family members, and it's in Hollywood, it's in sports, uh, and you see it even today, right? With that fame, I mean, what's the latest one with the, what Britney Spears, right? Like the these people get insulated because of the fame, and then they get they just one of the things that maybe you can answer this, like how they turn over control of their lives to these other people, and they, these other folks are making all sorts of decisions. Why do they do that? Why do the famous people do that? Just because they can? Um, no, I think that they're in pain. Hmm. Um, and if you are famous in this country, you have a target on your back. It's a blood sport. Americans like to see famous people get hammered. I don't know why, but it's true. Not all, not everybody, but you know, I mean, go on social media, read some of the garbage that's on there. But, uh, it is a tremendous weight when you can't go out of the house. Elvis Presley couldn't go anywhere. Lennon couldn't go anywhere. Ali was a little bit different, a little more gregarious. Um, but then... It becomes so such a weight that they go, you do it. Hmm. So Lennon, he, he didn't want it. He goes, Yoko Ono, you do it. You, you control it. Ali to Herbert Mohammed, who was his manager, the Nation of Islam, took almost all of his money. Ali goes, no, you handle it. And Elvis did that with Tom Parker. And it's a weakness. Strong people wouldn't do that. But celebrity breaks people down. And I, I, the, the cautionary tale here is it's not just in entertainment and sports. It's in politics, too. Hmm. Both Trump and Biden have been adversely affected by their celebrity. There's no doubt they have. Uh, I didn't bring the politics into the book, but certainly you'll see if you are world famous and, and people are out to get you, your life changes drastically. Yeah, I thought it was also interesting uh, you mentioned Ali that the the – uh, some of the the details uh, from the thriller in Manila, thriller in Manila, that it was so hot. You talk about why it was so hot, but also that to mention politics, this was a, a fight that was uh, organized as a distraction for political purposes for the domestic audience. And uh, 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 Marcos, right, uh, trying to keep people's attention off of just like the crumbling state of their country. Same thing happened in Africa in Zaire uh, when he fought for Manali. That's some of the best writing Pete I've done in my career. The first eight pages of the Ali section in Killing the Legends. Uh, that fight almost killed Ali. Yeah. And there's no doubt about it. And yeah. Joe Frazier as well. And yet four months later, against the advice of the doctor, Ferdy Pacheco, there's Ali in the ring again because that's what the Nation of Islam wanted. Mm. And it's, it's harrowing. Now you say, yeah, well, it's Ali's fault. He did it. You're right. These guys aren't victims. Uh, they did what they did, but they were betrayed. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. 
And you uh, mentioned at the end of the book also that the, the purpose is not to cast judgment on these people. I want to ask you about that. We, uh, we're going to check on our uh, traffic and weather real quick, though. I'm talking with Bill O'Reilly. The name of the book is Killing the Legends, The Lethal Danger of Celebrity. We'll have more with Bill O'Reilly in a moment. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Bill O'Reilly uh, is the host of the No Spin News broadcast weekday nights, 8 till 11 on First News, or sorry, the First TV, a new media network that's available across digital platforms. He's also the host of the O'Reilly Update, heard weekdays on more than 225 radio stations across America, including WBT's, the best-selling nonfiction series author, uh, 12 books so far, nearly 19 million books in print. The latest is Killing the Legends, The Lethal Danger of Celebrity. Um, so, Bill, you talk about uh, in the in the uh, at the end of the book, you talk about the, the purpose of telling these stories, good and bad, warts and all. Right. It's not it's not to cast judgment. It's not like what we're seeing in a lot of the cancel culture uh, uh, where, you know, it's like, hey, let's drag somebody from you know history through, uh, you know, the, the norms of today and judge them by our current standards. Um, so why do you, why was it important to tell the good and the bad, but also to put that part in that disclaimer, if you will? Well, it's a cautionary tale for the country. So, uh, we look at famous people and that includes politicians, people who have power over us as, uh, people that can be a pinata. Uh, we can just, uh, say what we want about them and ha 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 and all of that. Well, when you do that, you uh, basically establish an adversary relationship with uh, very creative people. You know, a lot of people won't run for office in America because they don't want to be torn to pieces. And if guys like Lenin and Elvis and Ali, the three biggest icons uh, in cultural history of the United States, if they can be destroyed by their fame, then anyone can. Mm. And so there is a big cautionary tale here. Now, we should look at uh, celebrity power in a different way in America. I don't think it'll happen, but that's the arch behind the book. Yeah, uh, which you wrote uh, as you did these other books in the series with Martin Dugard. So uh, I failed to mention his name, so I apologize for that. But um, one of the things that you all write in the book is that fame changes people, that it's not a natural condition. Um and it is it is true. And I, look, I'm you know I'm in a small market, a radio guy, but I've been doing this for a while. And and people have asked me, uh, you know, do you want to? They've asked me, you know, do you want to run for office? And heck, no, I would never do that. I'm sure you've gotten that question too over uh, the course of your life. But um, you are obviously at a at a level of fame that approaches these guys. I'm not you know I'm not going to embarrass you, put you in the same category. But you've got you've got that level of fame. And so, how is this sort of played out for you in your life? Well, in the beginning, I wanted to be famous, not because I wanted a big uh, mansion and a Ferrari, but I wanted people to know my name like Cheers and appreciate my work. Mm -hmm. And I worked very hard to achieve uh, some level of recognition. But I didn't, and I was foolish. And I'm not a stupid man. I have a degree from Harvard. But I didn't calculate the unintended consequences of that. And therefore, and I should have, I mean, if you're going to mouth off on national TV and radio every night, as I do, it's going to be a segment of the population that wants to hurt you. Yeah. And, but I didn't basically protect myself. Well, once it happened, once I was attacked, uh, then I regrouped. And now I have, I paid millions of dollars to lawyers to protect me. It mm. angers me that I have to waste the money on the lawyers 
but I have to. Because if you don't, if you don't have a vanguard out in front of you, uh, you're, they're going to come and rip your throat out. And that is our culture. And there's nothing you can do about it because the press is so corrupt. The press isn't going to take your side. Any allegation is a conviction. All these people want is the headline, the social media. You have these gutter snipes hiding in the basement. I mean, it's really harrowing, harrowing. And so the big takeaway from that is you've got to know the dangers if you get into the arena. And I'll submit that most people do not. The list is legion of people from Marilyn Monroe, John Belushi, Amy Winehouse, Prince, Michael Jackson, on and on and on and on. Yeah, Because they got crushed. And there's an element, and you talk about this also in the book, of this self-destruction that occurs. And I wonder if there uh, is it... Is it because you get famous so then, the, you know, everything is available to you and you get people that, you know, are surround you that just tell you, yes, 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 do these self-destructive things? And I thought it was interesting in one of the uh, – in the story about the Frazier fight that um, Frazier became estranged from his trainer because – and it sounded like – because the trainer said – Ali's going to kill you. You're about dead, and so he, he they stopped the fight and maybe saved his life, right? right? And that's and and the, what was the moral there is that he saved the guy's life, but then they they became estranged. Yeah, Frazier would have gone blind had he uh, answered the bell for the fifteenth. Yeah, um, Elvis was self destructive, and I don't know why. I mean, I'm not a psychiatrist. He didn't have a real strong uh, educational background or family background. His father was there, but his father was ripping him off, too. Um, and then Elvis, if you look at him in 67, in the NBC comeback special, which anybody can Google, I mean, the guy's in his prime, magnificent entertainer. Ten years later, is this the same human being? Mm-hmm. And Presley had to know it. He had to know that he was deteriorating physically and mentally, but he wouldn't stop taking the narcotics and eating the garbage that he was eating. And anybody who said, hey, Elvis, maybe you want to, you know, reevaluate, he'd fire them. So he was self-destructive. Lennon, I, I can't put the label on, but the heroin thing is really disturbing. Ali was basically a guy who got captured by the Nation of Islam and simply did what they told him to do. So uh, on self-destruction, this, uh, and this kind of ties into... Uh... Uh, into politics. Uh, th- yesterday I was reading, we did a topic on the show. Uh, I think you mentioned it today, actually, in your update. Uh, you got Donald Trump and he's he, he's he does these interviews with and I kept asking like yesterday, why would he sit for an interview with three of them with Maggie Haberman from The New York Times? Now, you're media, you're a New Yorker, you're an author, right? So maybe you could shed some light on this. Why would he keep talking to the New York Times, Maggie Haberman, and, and give her all of this stuff so she could write a book, like, that shreds him. I don't, I don't understand why he would do that. Because he's addicted to the spotlight. Hmm. Donald Trump is addicted to fame. He has to be in the spotlight every day of his life. Maggie Haberman is a vile person. She has ripped him up for seven consecutive years, yet he grants her access so she can rip him up again. He did the same thing with Bob Woodward. And the reason is Haberman works for the New York Times, Woodward works for the Washington Post, 
Trump wants the attention from those vehicles. So that's how Trump's celebrity and addiction to it, to the fame, has hurt him. Yeah. And there's no question it has. Yeah, I, I, I'm like I, I was reading uh, uh, somebody, uh, Kurt Slichter, over at uh, Town Hall, and you know he's saying he still believes in the credibility of those institutions. He still wants he he wants their approval, and I don't even yeah. I, I don't yeah, which is amazing to me considering like he's the one who called them the enemy of the people. Why would you keep going back to them? But your explanation makes sense if there's a if there's an addiction to that level of of stardom. And Ali was the same way. He had to know that the Nation of Islam was ripping him off like crazy. He had to. But he wanted the approval of Elijah Muhammad and then his son, Herbert Muhammad, who was his manager. He wanted their approval. So he did what they told him to do. And it dissolved his brain. Yeah. His doctors are saying, you can't get in the ring and do that. Yet the Muslims are throw him in the ring and there's uh, Ali. Yeah. And he wound up with no money. Right, which was his biggest fear. You said in the book that was he didn't want to be a greeter at a casino like Joe Lewis was. It's uh, it's yeah. Yes, but he was not willing to go up against the Nation of Islam, and he would have had to have done that to break free. Yeah. So, it's a complicated situation. But the bottom line is, fame is unnatural. People most can't handle it, and it changes them for the worst in most cases. You can read about Ali and Elvis and John Lennon in Killing the Legends, The Lethal Danger of Celebrity. You can find it where any book is sold, basically, BillOReilly.com. Bill O'Reilly, thanks so much for your time, sir. We appreciate it. Uh, good luck out on the uh, the book tour, too. Appreciate it. Thank you, Pete. Great interview. Hope we can talk again soon. Take care, sir. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT is another one, right? Kurt Cobain. So thanks again to Bill O'Reilly. Uh, I do have the book, um, and uh, as uh, I've started doing after I uh, I interview the author, we'll give it away. We'll give away the book right now to the 11th caller at 704-570-1110 or 1-800-WBT-1110. The 11th caller will get... Killing the Legends, the Bill O'Reilly book that they sent to me, that I read, that now I will give to you. So I don't know what the value of that is. But I'm sure the IRS will have something to say about it. <laughs> I don't know. But if you want the book, it's yours. to the, Well, the 11th caller. It's the 11th callers at 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Good luck. Many may call. Only one may win. A couple of the... Uh, because I'll give you just three highlights here that I, I did not get to with Bill. Um, number one, uh, one from each of them. So one out of Elvis's uh, story. I did not know this. Elvis met with Barbara Streisand and was supposed to star with her in the movie A Star is Born. And it was believed that this could be a turning point for him, but... His manager guy, what's uh, Colonel Parker, did not want Elvis to do it. He wanted no part of it. So he kills the idea by demanding like a huge amount of money. And so it just, they, they go with Chris Christopherson. Could you imagine, though, 
had Elvis done that role, and if he had still died as he did, like that, like oh my gosh, they would be, they would be telling like that would be like prophetic and all of this stuff, right? So that was I I wasn't aware of that. Also, uh, for John Lennon, I did not know that um, he apparently threatened to replace George Harrison with Eric Clapton. He was going to kick Harrison out of the band, <laughs> out of the Beatles. He was he was going to swap them out. Um, and apparently they had such problems when they were recording Abbey Road, uh, the Abbey Road sessions, whatever, like they, everybody afterwards, oh, there's going to be a reunion, a Beatles reunion. And O'Reilly and uh, Dugard are like, never going to happen. It never could happen because there was such animosity among the guys. And apparently it was over John Lennon's heroin addiction. Um, that he hid from everybody, apparently. And then finally, there was, uh, on the Muhammad Ali story, his final fight was against a guy named Trevor Burbick. And late in the fight, Burbick asks the ref to stop the fight because he sees that Muhammad Ali is helpless. And uh, they don't stop the fight, and so he just basically coasts until the end. He just, in a sign of, you know, just true compassion, like he doesn't, he doesn't try to knock him out. He doesn't try to sort of make a name for himself. He just just kind of rides it out until the end and doesn't and doesn't hurt Ali any further because he knew that like he he, he could kill him and he was already in bad shape. He was helpless to defend himself. Um, it was interesting, to, you know, talking about that uh, that fight the uh, the fight in Manila, the thriller in Manila. Um, that the doctor uh, who saw Ali, he said, uh, like, he years later, he went on to ESPN, and he said that that fight, that 14th round, uh, where, uh, right, r- like, right before they, because uh, they, they finished the 14th, and then uh, they called it, uh, the the uh, Frazier's uh, trainer, a guy named Eddie Futch, uh, who ended it, uh, because he was afraid Frazier couldn't see anymore. He was going blind. From that, from the fourteenth round, and Ali couldn't stand. Like when the when the fight got called, Ali tried to stand up and collapsed. And then they had to like put him on a stool so he could continue like a post fight interview or whatever. He was so beaten up, he stayed in Manila. He couldn't eat solid food. And when he finally went to the uh, palace of uh, Imelda Marcos and uh, oh gosh, for. Ferdinand Marcos? Yeah, Ferdinand, yeah. Um, that um, the video, as he's walking around, and you can see the sort of the beginnings of, like, because this all happened before. I mean, I was born in 73. Like, I don't, I don't remember a lot of these cultural touchstones. I mean, I, all I know Muhammad Ali from the years, that I know him from the years later, when he was, you know, an old man and, then he got Parkinson's and I, you know, I, I'd seen the videos of him earlier in life and that sort of thing. But it was only a couple of weeks after the, um, after the fight and he's at the palace the, uh, of the Marcoses, and you can already start to see, and he wasn't like that right before the fight. And so his doctor told ESPN years later that he, he, he tracks the neurological damage from that fight specifically the 14th round, and he says that's where the damage was done. Of course, Ali is estimated to have taken like 
almost a quarter million, you know, punches to the head in his career. So who knows? But just uh, fascinating stories in there. So uh, do we have a winner? Do we have a winner? Yeah, what, was, what was it? Adrian, congratulations. Adrian won the book, Killing the Legends, The Lethal Danger of Celebrity. See, this is why I have chosen uh, uh, you know, not to be uh, a cultural phenomena like uh, like Lennon and uh, Elvis and Ali. That's why. It's like self-preservation. I don't want to be that famous. So I have intentionally dialed down my influence. <laughs> News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Alrighty, so a uh, couple updates here on the weather. By the way, if you don't know, go to hurricanes.gov. It'll redirect you to the uh, National Hurricane Center, NOAA, but uh, hurricanes.gov. It's a great resource. Uh, anybody can go there. I went over some of the supplies that you should have ready uh, in case we lose power. Uh, but this is from the National Weather Service that there is a danger of life-threatening storm surge through Friday along the coasts of Northeast Florida, Georgia, and South Carolina. Uh, they're saying the, uh, the Hurricane uh, Ian, uh, which was downgraded to a tropical storm, but now it looks like it's going to pick up more uh, strength over the water, and it's going to slam into Charleston. And uh, so be wary of that. Um, and uh, the rain bands are obviously going to – I saw on the way into work, actually. I was driving in. I swear I saw – an upside down rainbow. Now I couldn't tell because I was driving and I, you know, did not want to wreck the car while trying to look at the rainbow. But it was around the sun. It was like so. I'm coming in from uh, from the west part of the city. I'm coming in on Wilkinson, and uh, I look up and you can see like the the gray sky, like the bands of clouds and stuff are so uh, spread out and whatever. It just looks like a whitish, grayish sky, you know, uh, and you see the sun behind it, and I could see, like, this rainbow that it looked like a smile. And I couldn't see if it went all the way around. And I got to the station, and it was already passed. Uh, but I did think, like, I should probably try to take a picture of this. But then nobody would know, like, if I was trying to take the picture and I got into a car accident and died on the way into work, nobody would know that I was trying to get a picture of a rainbow. Of course, now that I say that, I probably would not want anybody to know that I died uh, trying to get a picture of a rainbow. So probably it's best that it just worked out. Uh, so I'm just telling you the story. No picture to show for it. But I don't know. It, 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 that's what it looked like to me. It looked like a like a like a rainbow ring around the sun, which is trying to kill us. OK, uh, hurricane force winds are expected across South Carolina's coast beginning uh, early Friday. Hurricane warning has been issued. Hurricane conditions are possible by tonight along the coasts of northeastern Florida and Georgia, where a hurricane watch is in effect. Preparation should be rushed to completion since tropical storm force winds will begin well before the center approaches the coast. Um, ongoing major to record river flooding. So major river flooding to near or, or to even record river flooding is going to continue across portions of central Florida with considerable flooding in northern Florida. Flash and urban flooding is expected across coastal portions of northeast Florida through Friday. Local significant flooding in southeastern Georgia, 
as well as as well as eastern South Carolina. It's all expected through the end of this week. Uh, also, uh, sh- a special shout out and thank you to all of the utility crews, all of the relief workers, uh, everybody that has been dispatched or is on standby uh, to go to Florida or uh, to go to any of the affected areas. Uh, thank you for uh, for all of the work that you guys do. Hurricane Ian, according to the Associated Press, left a path of destruction in southwest Florida, trapping people in flooded homes, damaging the roof of a hospital intensive care unit, and knocking out power to 2.5 million people as it dumped rain across the peninsula on Thursday. One of the strongest hurricanes to ever hit the U.S. I think it's like number five all time, they're saying. Um, It threatened catastrophic flooding around the state. Tropical storm force winds extended outward up to 415 miles. 415 miles is like 665 kilometers. Look, people, we're not going to get onto the metric system if I don't give you these data points, you know, if I don't give you both of the numbers. Anyway, uh, the National Hurricane Center said Ian became a tropical storm over land early this morning. And it's expected to regain near hurricane strength after emerging over Atlantic waters near Kennedy Space Center later in the day. Um, A stretch of the Gulf Coast remained inundated by ocean water. Uh, Severe and life-threatening storm surge inundation of 8 to 10 feet above ground level along with destructive waves is ongoing. In Port Charlotte, the storm surge flooded a hospital uh, emergency room. And uh, they they moved everybody. It was like a medium-sized hospital. They moved everybody. It's like four floors, and they moved everybody up to the uh, the top two. Ian's strength at landfall was a Category 4, tying it for, here it is, the fifth strongest hurricane when measured by wind speed. Uh, that's ever to strike the U.S. Uh, storm surges as high as six feet or two meters. Look, again, it's just it, the system makes more sense. It just it, from a mathematical perspective, it makes more sense. The metric system does. And so two meters, six feet. Um, up to 30 centimeters of rain forecast for parts of northeast Florida, coastal Georgia and the low country of South Carolina. So that's a foot. 30 centimeters is like a foot, uh, about 15 centimeters or half a foot. Could fall in southern Virginia as the storm moves inland over the Carolinas. And the center said, uh, the National Weather Center said landslides were possible. People call them landslides, but I think it's technically, it's like a total slope failure. Slope failure is what they call them up there. Yeah, people, uh, if you haven't spent, and I did not know this before, I went up to the mountains and uh, lived and worked up there for eight years. Um, This is a pretty common occurrence up there. There's a lot of slope failure up there. Uh, yeah, we, like we become aware of it when uh, it's like, oh, my gosh, I-40 uh, into Tennessee, you know, blocked again. It's pretty regular. <laughs> it's, not, it's a pretty regular occurrence right there. But um, it, it happens all over the place. Sinkholes open up, sides of roads kind of slide off. Yeah, it's uh, building up there is very difficult. Uh, and when the rains come in, as I mentioned yesterday, the rain comes in and you know, you get these, you got mountains and the rain runs down the mountains and it gathers velocity and they become very powerful uh, floods. And they'll, uh, you know, they'll wash out and wash away, uh, you know, uh, uh, structures or even whole towns that are in the valleys. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty dangerous and gets very dangerous. The flash flooding up there, it gets very dangerous very quickly. So 
Uh, I know they're prepping for it, and uh, it's one of the um, one of the things they talk about. Uh, you know, past hurricanes that you know for the rest of the state, we just got rain, and up in the mountains, they got washed out. Um, U.S. Coast Guard initiated a search and rescue mission for 23 people off the coast of Florida yesterday. Um, there were no deaths reported in the U.S. from the hurricane by late yesterday, but a boat carrying Cuban migrants sank in stormy weather east of Key West. So the Coast Guard went out there. Uh, they managed to find three survivors about two miles south of the Florida Keys. Four other Cubans swam to an island called Stock Island, which is just east of Key West. Uh, air crews kept searching uh, for possibly 20 uh, remaining migrants. Uh, the governors of South Carolina, North Carolina, Georgia, and Virginia all preemptively declared states of emergency. So uh, we'll keep you posted on that as we go through uh, the storm event. You know, keep it right here on WBT. Make sure you got batteries for the radio, too. It's not going to do you much good if it's only a plug-in. 